Hey, this is just a quick note to say we had some issues recording uh, Ian's sermon uh, this morning, um, so it's going to sound a bit distorted. Uh, we've tried to clean it up as much as possible, but it's still a bit distorted. You can hear some some children screaming and some stomping and uh, clapping, laughing, all sorts in there. Um, so apologies for that, but um, yeah, please uh, be blessed in what you can hear uh, in Ian's message this morning. That's, that's ultimately the mission of the church. So everything that we do around that is, is trying to help us and support and go, this is the trajectory we're going on. But we also live in the present. So everything we're doing now is in line with that which is. And so because we can't live in the present, in the, in the future, we can live in the present. And so the leadership school of formation, and what I'm thinking, what I'm um, can I just encourage you to think about thinking ahead It's not just about what is now, it's about what could be or what I'm going into. And so, um, and even, I'm sure I don't need to talk about that. Um, let me pray. Close your eyes, still your heart. And then you open your hands. It's only quietness and stillness and stop that we become aware of all the things that are going on in our hearts and minds that are many of them good things, some of them distractions, some of those pulling for attention, things that we feel like we must do. And Jesus in his mind we acknowledge and recognize that this is the one thing that we must do. To be with you. To be present to you as your presence was. And so, Jesus, in the few minutes that I have to share from your scriptures, from your word, from your truth, I ask, O oh Lord, that you would shape our hearts in a way that only you're able to. You will take my words as I try to do my very best to explain this verse of scripture so that it might be useful for us in our pursuit of you. I pray that you take those and do with them as you will, that we would have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Gather around your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I don't know if I could actually just stay there for a little while longer. 
Um, so today uh, I'm going to be speaking in our series in the Beatitudes and Death. That's all great messages so far um, over the course of the weeks that we've been in this. I think we're going to be in it for about another 40 years, maybe. Um, but today we're going to be looking at uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. And so, plus, uh, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So, I don't know about you, but reading these is it, it, they're challenging and confusing all in the same moment. How does this work in the, in the myriad of complexities of life and demands on our time? But I love what John said right now when we began this series. He, he, he said in verse 3, it states it as is, rest of the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Is. The best. This is ours. And then he goes on to talk in the remaining beatitudes um, uh, of, because they will inherit. There's something of like an anticipation, an expectation of that which is to come in the life of the kingdom. And then the, the, the verse 10 it then goes back into blessed. So we have the sandwich. The concrete nature of the kingdom is it is. Because it's Jesus's. It's his kingdom. It's his rule. It's his reign. It's his world. It's his universe. We are his. So if anybody's in Christ Jesus, they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. This is the new reality from which we operate. It is given. And John rightly pointed out earlier, anything we have of, a, of the life of salvation is given, it's received by us. And so this is the new life that we operate from. This isn't about us trying to maintain an exterior moral code about how we do life in this world. This is actually fundamentally about matters of the heart. Matthew's Gospel is drilling into the heart of humanity. Always. See, in, 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 uh, in Matthew 15, we get Jesus having this conflict with the Pharisees, the religious rulers, and the traditions of the elders, because, oh, they clean the outside of the cups, didn't they? They don't wash their hands. They, you know, these people, these Gentiles, these, these um, ruffians, they're not, not doing what's meant to be done. How on earth are they meant to be the kind of people that God will bless? And then Jesus turns the tables a little bit, doesn't he? Because it's not the outside of the stuff that you've got to worry about. It's not the outside of who you are, you've got to worry about. It's the inside you've got to worry about. Because it's from the heart all of this stuff flows. So the heart is really the crucial issue for every single one of us. It's whether the place, the dwelling place of God, it's the rule and reign of God, and that is manifest because out of heart we act. Now the thing is, um, we can put on a really good show. Probably we can pretend that the heart is okay. Because we can come into our gatherings, or we can come into our spaces where everybody else comes, and we can play the game, and we can lift our hands in celebration, we can lift our voices, but our hearts are far from God. That's not the kind of life that Jesus invites into, actually. Because you can't keep up the external moral code 
for too long before the veil starts to slip. See, the only thing that really matters and really, really transform our lives and really demonstrate something of the life of the kingdom is that which takes place from within. You see, verses 3, 4, and 5 are really interesting. Because they talk about being empty. These, the, 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 the preceding, um, the attitudes, they talk about this emptying out. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are. Which comes next? Uh, the blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the humble. Pouring out. A submitting, an emptying of ourselves. Not so that we just, you know, so we're empty, but it's so that we want money. Also, verse 6, though. So that we might be filled. See, the thing is, we can't be filled if we're not empty. Because there's no space for anything else. So, blessed. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They should be filled. So the question for us today really is, what do we desire the most? What's the root of our desires? Where's the heart of our desires? And by the way, when I'm speaking this, I'm not just I'm not preaching at you. I won't be sorted. I you're the only ones that people need to hear this. I'm going, what are the desires of my heart? What are the things that are really driving me? What are the things that are captivating my thoughts and attention? Because if this is true for me, it's true for you too. For us, because the human desire is so strong, it's part of who we are. We have desires, don't we? Some of them are pure, <laughs> some of them not so. It's part of being human, it's a consequence of the fall. It's Genesis. Genesis 4, that Cain and Abel, because the sins of corruption and God decides to miss you. Desire. Right, so we, we have to recognize that we have desires. We have cravings. And actually, uh, the Hebrew, and the, there's nine Hebrew words now, I'm not going to try and pronounce them to you, just you can do it afterwards, all right? Um, but there are, there are currently nine Hebrew words and an equivalent number in the Greek, and they carry and hold a whole range of desires. So everything about our human, humanity, our, our, the, the psychological stuff of our life, actually is covered in these, uh, these descriptions, these words. Such is the power and importance of the human desire. Because the heart, please Jeremiah, the heart is wicked and deceitful of all things. So if we just rely on our hearts, then where's, that, where's a heart going to take us unless it's surrendered to God? Desires are powerful and can be so destructive. So what are, the, what are these desires? How can we describe these? What are the cravings, the, the covenant, the, 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 sorry, covenant of our, of our hearts? And I think it's in the Tenth Commandment speaks about that shall not covet. Desire for something other. It's actually the drive for, the, for, for greed and social injustice. It's one of the, the key elements of that craving. Then there's the desire for love. Need love to be loved. There's a need to be loved, isn't there? A human need to, to experience love and to, to love and to be loved. There is, that is a good desire. 
is a right desire. It's a, it's a godly desire, given by him, but somehow, sometimes, some ways that desire isn't always that godly. Because we look for love and acceptance in all kinds of manner of places. Then there's the desire for good and delight. Now, I want to be good. I want to be known as being good, don't you? and our desire and delight with, with it, and our successes and our accomplishments and our oh, I'm doing really, really well because I'm accumulating more and more and more. I'm getting more and more responsibility. I get more and more likes on Facebook or Instagram. It must be good. And there's four upon the natural desires of hunger, protection, sense of safety, and of course the sexual desires that are common. To man and woman. It's how we work. So we have desires. And I think what this is trying to drill at what is the, what is the, what is the desires? What, what do we really want? What do we really want? Because what we're hungry for is what we'll pursue. See, if I, 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 I like food. Yeah, yeah, come on, all those foodies, I love it. I, I, my, my recent trip to South Asia was just amazing. Food was fantastic. I loved it. I would, I would happily travel there again just for the food. <laughs> Such is the desire for quality, like this, this just delicious food. You see, when we're hungry for something, we'll do everything that we can to gain it. Because such is the overwhelming desire for that thing. You see, we're, we're filled with desires, and not all of them are bad. Some of them are really good, but some of them become bigger than they should be. Some of them become distractions to us. And all this of the true desire. The true thing that will satisfy. You see, the thing about desire is that it's never truly satisfied. Never truly satisfied. Right, the loss of the flesh. You know, we, we hear all sorts of stories, but we've, we've got those stories. Where we thought, oh, if only, if only that could be, if only, and you get it, you think, oh, really that Because it's never satisfying. What this beatitude writer is that what we were designed for. It's only ever going to be truly experienced in God. It's only ever going to be truly experienced in our pursuit and our desire and our hunger for Him. But that can only come as we empty ourselves out. So it's not a case of emptied once and then feel all good. It is a continual emptying of ourselves and stripping back of ourselves, our own desires, wants, strengths, abilities even. Not that any of those Ability to power God given because understand it's not about us saying, well, I'm, I'm giving my own strength, my own power, I can do all of these kind of things, and so therefore God will surely love me. Well, surely it's, a, it's about coming and stripping back all of those things and acknowledging who we are before the Holy God. So, why is it so blessed and poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven? 
I still poor. Why? Because it comes coming down to the point of we have nothing. Nothing. So I mentioned Project South Asia. Um, and I saw poverty like I've never seen. I saw things that um, just horrific, actually. So poverty is um, literal poverty, but poverty of spirit and people who realise they have nowhere else to go. I'll talk about that a little bit more about that in a moment. But, um, you see, the, the thing is, until we get to a point where we recognise that we have nothing, nothing to contribute, nothing to give, nothing to gain, from our own effort, our energy, our successes or our failures, until we come to the end of ourselves and just say, God, I am Lord, so abandoned to Him, then we won't experience the kind of hunger I think of desires in us. I often think, what would it be like if we were truly, if we were truly hungry for Him? What kind of people would we be? Now, I'm not talking about like, those that we maybe see as like the super, super Christians, you know, the, the ones that seem to just have all, all the desire, all the passion, all the gifts, you know, that think, oh, I can never get that. I'm not talking about that. That's just like, what would it look like for us? It's God's people. To be truly abandoned to Him. To truly say, God, I have nothing to give. And yet I know that as I give, I, I surrender my, my life to you. You the promise, the hope, is that you will satisfy the deepest hunger and longings of the human heart. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, <coughs> they shall be filled. So what is this righteousness? What is this righteousness that we pursue? Is it, is it simply a, a moral character? Being right before God. Well, righteousness in the scriptures has, has three meanings. Has three meanings. <laughs> has three meanings. Master's never shot me. Has three meanings for us. And uh, John Scott puts it like this. There's the legal meaning of righteousness, where when we've come to that end of ourselves and recognize there's nothing to give, we put our trust in, in Jesus. And, Acknowledge that He is He alone is able to save and to heal and to restore, and through faith in Christ alone, we are we are made new. His legal standing has changed from from sinners and rejected by God and and under the wrath of God because of our wrongdoing, like legally responsible for all of our actions and and, and deeds and heart issues, sin. Legally responsible. That has then has shifted because of Jesus, and now we are no longer under that burden. But our legal standing has changed. We now have sons. Not slaves to sin, we're sons of God. Sons of God. Sons and daughters of God. So legally, there's that position change. We receive the righteousness of God. So because, because we can't make ourselves righteous, we can't make ourselves good, we receive it. And so therefore, we live out that new reality. Remember what I said earlier? The new creation? He deposits in us and gives, gives us the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Who does the sanctifying work in us? It's Him that makes us new. So the, t- the, the key for this is that we surrender to His activity and allow Him to change us because we have no ability or power to change ourselves. But when we come to a place of surrender, it's 
It's a remarkable one. Because John 15 says, Abide in me, and you will bear fruit. So the emphasis upon us in abiding, the fruit comes as a result of abiding in him. And what we abide in, we abide in his righteousness and his finished work upon the cross. And his love and his grace and his mercy and his kindness, we abide in all of that. And we start to change. It's remarkable. It really is. So there's the legal standard that changes, and then the moral. There's a moral element to this. We can't, we can't deny that. Because actually, to be a follower of Jesus means that we aren't going to change, and therefore our moral character will change. Our, our, the way that we perceive life, the way that we perceive our desires, because actually our desires, then, our wrong desires, and the desire of the heart, take on holy meaning. Because now we're not dead to Christ, we're alive to Christ, and so therefore we have an awareness of all the stuff in us that he wants to change. Again, it's quite remarkable. And sometimes it can be quite depressing. Because you go, like, oh man, how much, Jesus, do you have to change me? Like, how much of my character do you have to work in me? And it, it can leave you in a depression and you go, actually, well, I didn't change my legal standing in the first place, so I can't change this by works of effort. It's only by the Spirit. So, welcome to you, Lord. Because our standing and our righteousness and our life and our identity in Christ is not based upon what we do or how good we are or how moral we are, it's based upon the finished work of Christ. But the thing is, He loves us too much in order for us not to be changed. So He will take us through this process of transformation and change that is, it enables us to live out that right standing with God. Because righteousness. Being right means that there's something wrong. So something's broken. Like the world's broken, I'm broken, you're broken. Let's all face up to the fact that this whole world and universe is a mess because we rejected God. And so something isn't right. So righteousness steps in. Who is that righteousness? So this is Jesus. He is righteousness itself. So he steps into a broken world to restore and make right that which has been wrong. To renew all things. Not just some things, all things. Because he's the only one who's able to do it. And so we have this sense of uh, righteousness. Making us. Making us right. Making us new. Making us alive. Now, interestingly, uh, righteousness in our English Bibles, it's often translated, or the Greek word for righteous is, is often translated in, in English, it's translated righteousness. Get yourself in a bit of money. Um, but actually, there's a much broader meaning since it's about that moral code. It's, it's so much bigger. It's actually about justice. It's about God's justice being carried out on the earth, which changes things a little bit. Because it's not just about me and God. It's about the justice, rule and reign of Christ, the just rule and reign of Christ being worked out everywhere. So I think it's the New English Bible, so it puts it in this book. Um, so Matthew 6, uh, 33, like this, it says, Set your mind on God's kingdom and his justice before everything else, and all the rest will come to you as well. Set your mind on justice. So, for us, are they hungry and thirst for justice 
but they shall be filled. But it's another slight one, isn't it? So what are we hungering for? Is it simply a personal righteousness, or is it that God's righteousness made manifest on the earth? So we have quite all these things going on in, in this word. Is yes, it's about right standing with God. It's that upward relationship with Him, worshiping Him, adoring Him, allowing Him to do what it does. It affects our relationships one with another. Because the more we're transformed, the more patient and loving and gracious we should be with one another. Should we? Love covers a multitude of sins. Doesn't mean to say we sweep stuff under the carpet, but actually the way that we deal with the stuff that needs to be dealt with is very different to the way that we used to deal with it. Because once upon a time, I just wanted to go in and like, I'm close you down because, well, you used to do it again. Oh, so did, I, did I really say that? <laughs> it changes how we do it. Because we don't just see that person as a problem that's getting in my way. We see that person as a person who's been made in the image of God, and therefore he's been made in the image of God. Regardless of the issues, I need to treat them with kindness and dignity and hope and love and try and win them. Not to my way, but to his way. It shifts it. Because this isn't about my thing, this is about his thing. <laughs> And so we partner with him in his work, not trying to get him involved in our work. And so when we're dealing with those issues and we're dealing with people, we do it in a very different way. Now, let's be honest, there are things that need to be dealt with. Are there? It's really not a bit worried now. <laughs> there are. There are. Because we're people, we're humans, we error. So we need correction, we need loving correction, we need people to speak truth in our lives so that Christ's righteousness may be manifest. And so we may radiate the glory and the majesty and the power of God, not just in here, but out there, to change lives. And then there's the social aspect, okay? So this is where this justice thing comes through. So in this nation that I was in, that I didn't name earlier, in <laughs> Um, I um, the, the brick industry is a huge industry in this nation. Flying in to the airport just sort of killing that, killing the smoke. Um, this industry uh, runs, and its um, labour force are bonded slaves. So I was in a factory sitting with some families that were third generation slaves, held with a debt of maybe 800 pounds, 800 to 1500 pounds. There's no way that they're ever going to be able to pay. Rainy season comes, they can't work, so they've still got to leave. So what happens? The debt continues, the attitude. I, I'm sat there and I'm going, this is this isn't this isn't right. Heartbreaking stories of lives that are gripped in slavery. So I was able to spend a bit of time with them, some of the, some of the guys, and just talk with them. And so uh, sat <coughs> sat with them, and I asked them, "What's the dream? What's your dream?" Now, predictably. You ask a slave, what's a dream? 
what we deserve. Freedom. I asked you another question too. If you weren't doing this, what would you do? Any guesses? Well, listen, we'd labour. We'd be a labourer. We'd do some manual work. We'd do whatever needs to be done. We'd do it. So, what's the difference? The difference is they're not free. So, the question I came back with is not how do we shut down the brick factories? The massive industry. Not how do we bankrupt the slave masters, brick masters. Oh. How do we redeem the industry? Because that's justice, you see. Because if we don't operate with that sense of this social setting is not right, there's something broken here. It's not that the industry is wrong, it's the way the industry is run that is wrong. So what would it look like? If as God's people, we were to say, okay, but how do we redeem this, this industry? How do we set people free? Now, the, all, the, all the way through this, I'm going to give you a quite an interesting concept. Yeah. Isn't it? Set free from the things that we're holding, set free to worship God and to liberate from the, the things that we're holding. So, well, maybe, maybe, just maybe, we could transform the brick industry. One factory at a time. What do you mean? See, I think that's the outlook of righteousness. Amen. I think that's the outlook of justice. Amen. I think that's how the outlook of the hunger because we see something that isn't right and we say, we've got to do something about it. You see, because those families, they still need to live, they still need to work, they still need all of that. The industry needs to run because actually, they need bricks. Just need freedom. And so justice is worked out through the righteousness that we receive from God. We receive by Jesus. What we didn't deserve, He poured out upon us. He liberated us. He set us free so that we might live for Him. So that we might hunger for Him. So that we might thirst for Him. Yes. Personal. So the question I would ask is, what's the hunger in your heart? What are you hungry for? What am I hungry for? What are you desiring most? And maybe, maybe some of those things will be determined by where you spend your time, where you spend your finances, what you think about the most. Not that we don't think about other things. Of course we do. I've got a life. We've got stuff that's going on. But what is the driving priority? What is the thing that we set in our hearts to say, above everything else, Jesus, I desire your righteousness. In me, working through me. Give us the eyes to see the injustices, not just in the South Asian, but in, in here, strapped upon Avon. What are the injustices? It's not right that people that are unable to leave their homes. It's not right that kids are going hungry. It's not right that kids are not that have beds to sleep on. I don't want to be true here, but in other parts of the country, there I know of a charity that called Sarah that is working to relieve bed poverty because there are kids either sleeping on, on the floor or on rotten mattresses with nothing. It's not right. It's a justice issue. So the question is, when our eyes are open and we're pursuing righteousness, we will not be able to not see the injustices around us. 
Because it isn't just about us and Jesus. It's about Jesus and us working together to see justice established because he is king. So do you have room for him? In your busy life, my busy life, do you have room for him? Have you given him a part, but not a whole? I'm going to read this story and I'm going to pray and see what the Holy Spirit wants to do. The father knocks at my door, seeking a home for his son. Rent is cheap, I say. I don't want rent. I want to buy, says God. I'm not sure I want to sell. You might want to come in and look around. I think I will, says God. I might let you have a room or two. I like it, says God. I'll take two. You might decide to give me more someday. I can't wait, says God. I'd like to give you more, but it's a bit difficult. I need some space for me. I know, says God, but I'll wait. I like what I see. Hmm. Maybe I can have, let you have another room. I really don't need that much. Thanks, uh, says God. I'll tell you. I like what I see. I'd like to give you the whole house, but I'm not sure. Think on it, says God. I wouldn't put it around. Your house would be mine, my son would live in it. You have more space than you've ever, uh, ever had before. I don't understand it's poor. I know, says God. But I, I can't explain it about it. I'm having you discover it yourself. That can only happen if you let him have the whole house. A bit risky, I say. Yes, says God. But try me. I'm not sure. I'll let you know. I can wait, says God. I like what I see. Today we have a choice. Nobody's forcing you to do anything. Nobody's forcing you to give up something at this moment in time you don't feel like you're ready to give up. But the invitation is here. The invitation to receive him is here. The invitation to allow God to take over your dwelling. Every room and every space, every part of your life, every part of who you are is here. I have to say that I think it's the best decision that we can ever make. And I think we find that when we step into that kind of pursuit and hunger for righteousness, that we find that we receive so much more than we could ever begin to dream or imagine, that we encounter more of Him in ways that we could never have expected. Thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who 
believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within. Will have the streams of living water flow from deep within. So this morning, I'm sat down. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Are you desiring more of Jesus? As we sing in a moment, stop talking. This is over to, over to you. It's over to you, between you and the Lord, to see what He wants to do in you. Jesus, in this moment, your invitation is that anyone who's thirsty that has come to you, you satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. On this side of eternity, we'll always be have a, a thirst and a hunger for you. One day, one day in your kingdom will be fully, fully established, fully satisfied. So I ask that you take us right where we are at this moment, whether we've given over the entire house to you, or we're still holding back a room or two, your patience and your kindness and your goodness will wait. You beckon us today to be all of you. So that I ask the importance of the Spirit on every one who is desiring, thirsting, longing after you. The hunger for the things of your kingdom may stir. And give us eyes to see the injustices around us. Not with a glance, but with a heart that desires to bring change to your kingdom's sake. In Jesus' name I pray.